Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. And welcome to this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. I'm your host, Rebecca Cressman, and joining me in studio today is a writer and a director and a son of a civil rights hero, Loki Mulholland. And Loki, you are with the Joan Trump Hour Mulholland Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of different topics and, and uh, titles right there. Right. But for me, you're a hero. You tell the stories that need to be told, that are missing in our our collective history. Mm -hmm. And I think it's wonderful that I'm actually interviewing you during Black History Month. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're going to talk about a couple films. You've you've had films behind you, but you've got uh, After Selma and The Evers Mm -hmm. uh, coming up. So first of all, your mission to become a filmmaker began when? Star Wars. You saw that? (laughs) I can think back. I know how old Uh, I was when Star Wars was up. Yeah, I remember seeing it in theaters. No, it was just... just, uh, realization that, you know, wow, I mean, the power of film. And, you know, growing up, my mom would never let us watch sitcoms. Um, she just couldn't stand the canned laughter. So it was always PBS. There's only four channels anyways. And and if we were going to watch a show, uh, we also had to iron our clothes and fold our laundry. That's after you aimed the rabbit ears on the right. television. Yeah, totally, sure. totally mm-hmm. dial it all in. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I grew up on a heavy diet of, you know, um, wild world of animals and those sort of things. And, and um, just these stories that were out there and just the power of film. So I knew at a very early age that's what I always wanted to do. Um, you, you dream of wanting to do Star Wars and then you mature, right? And so, you know, and I, of course I would love to still do Star Wars. Well, and then but, sometimes the stories are actually a part of your own family right. history. And yeah. I mentioned the Joan Trumpauer Mulholland Foundation. Right. Joan Trumpauer Mulholland is your mother. Yes, yes. She's uh, this civil rights icon. I mean, she was mom, right? I mean, we still had to do chores and everything else. And, but you learned at a very early age you don't mess with a woman who's been on death row. Um, and she was on death row um, as a freedom rider, and she was on the Klan's most wanted list. She was hunted down for execution. I mean, she was I, – I describe her as the Forrest Gump of civil rights. I mean, she was everywhere, and everyone knew her, or she knew everyone else. And she had the courage she, as a young white woman right. to say something is so wrong – Right. I'm going to walk with them. I'm going to ride with them. I'm going to sit at on the barstool with them. I'm going to make sure that my own life has the integrity to make sure that blacks are treated more fairly and have right. rights. So right. That was real courage. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was choosing the courage of her convictions. She's, she really took to heart the principles that are found in the Bible of, of loving your neighbor and treating them as you'd want to be treated. And she said, we were hypocrites. We would preach about it, but in the real world, we weren't doing it. 
And as she said, she wanted the South to be the best it could be. She really, truly loves the South, and, and you know, and that's where we're from. You know, our family's steeped in, in Southern culture and lore, and you know, the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wanted us to make it better. And she uh, she was 10 years old, and she saw the realities of separate but equal in this schoolhouse um, in Oconee, Georgia. And she said it rattled her soul, and she had made this choice. And she says, this is wrong. I'm going to do something about it. She didn't wait for someone else. She says, I'm going to do it. And she did. You know, our parents are, are contemporaries. And my dad was born in Dalton, Georgia, and mm-hmm. then raised in Atlanta, Eventually, the family moved to Stone Mountain, oh. um, right? Yeah. And 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 so he has stories. And so when I had the chance to sit at a screening of the film, that the very first film that was dedicated to unveiling the history right. of your mother in in the civil rights period of time, it was it was a little bit so resonant to me. I mean, not only do we hear about these things and read about them in history books, and hopefully we're constantly lifelong learners, so we're wanting to learn more and more. What are people talking about with Black Lives Matter? Right. What's happening with this? It was also like her, her voice, the sound, the, the time period when she right. was living. That's when my father lived and experienced separate be, but equal as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and yet I, she took the steps yeah. to try to change that. And, mm-hmm. and what shocked me, what I found out, I mean, you know, I was uh, – I was born after the movement, you know, but we grew up with civil rights people coming to the house. These were family, friends, and so forth. And and I didn't realize that people didn't know this stuff. Um, and so when we did a screening in, in Oxford, Mississippi, this is Old Miss, James Meredith, you know, 20,000 troops were called in to allow one person to go to school. Um, they call it the last battle of the Civil War. Um, and students there, college-educated kids were telling me, we never learned any of this. And I just was like, I, I just couldn't figure that out. So I formed a foundation, and we exist to end racism through education is, is, is what we do. And uh, the films and, and the books and the curriculum that we provide about the civil rights movement and so forth all play into that. Ending racism. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's a powerful goal, an important one. You have a couple new films coming out. Yeah, after Selma and the Evers. Let's talk about that because we'll have about 15 minutes left together. So let's talk about after Selma because Selma the movie, right. for those who haven't had time or, or, or weren't directed or didn't choose to to go back in time to understand the, the role of Selma, there was a big movie right. about it. So woof, now where we are with after Selma. Right. So Selma, uh, Selma's a city. Mm-hmm. In Alabama, um, it's this—it's the Edmund Pettus Bridge. It's uh, Selma is the icon of voting rights in America. This is when everyone finally got the right to vote. Now, 2020 is going to be the anniversary of people say, "Well, women got the right to vote." Uh, hold on, white women got the right to vote, right? It was, took 1965 and the Voting Rights Act for everyone to get that right. And so Selma became this icon of this. And the film Selma seems to trap us in time and this idea that, I mean, just, just the beauty of the town and everything, and here's this right, and now we, we do this. And so I titled the film After Selma, one kind of a nod to the film, but also um, to this icon of the bridge and the town, because what happened after everyone got to right to vote? Uh, Selma decayed. White flight took place. The the economy crumbled. And that is a reflection of our voting rights today. 
Uh, I, I think the thing that shocks people the most when they watch the film is they, they, they say, I had no idea that this, how conservative an effort this was. To, in other words, so even though the law was passed right. saying, you know, uh, blacks and, and those people of color can now vote. 19, that's the year I was born, right. 1965. And however, there were efforts made and continuing mm-hmm. efforts to suppress, to keep right. them from voting. And, and and when I say this in the film, this is very mm-hmm. important. This is not about party. This is about ideology. Because both parties in history have done it. Have done it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and 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 so with this, I mean, for example, it, it's voter ID. I mean, it, 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 it sounds good on paper. You know, let's protect the integrity of the vote with a voter ID. But what most people don't understand is that in a lot of places, the DMV is only open one day a month. Or like in Texas, a third of the counties don't have DMVs, and so you have to drive 250 miles just to get a driver's license. And so there's all these barriers put into place to keep people from voting, uh, whether it's gerrymandering or mass incarceration. And, you know, there's, there's this list. And so the film, what it does is actually um, – takes all these these little pieces. And you might hear a little thing here and a little thing there and go, well, that's just that. But once you put them all together, string them all together and see how this all works, it's it's frightening. Well, and, and for those who've just joined us, this is Loki Mulholland. He is the director. We're talking about a film after Selma. We'll also be talking about another film called The Evers uh, as well. Um, but what I wanted to point out is the thing about films and artistry is that most of us can only have conjecture based on our own personal experience. So we might hear voter suppression, somebody's got to drive. Well, in my experience, the DMV's 10 miles away, I can take a bus or whatever it may be. It can't be that hard for people to get voter ID. And for the thing, the thing that films do for me is it helps me pause for a minute and actually enter the life of the reality of someone else. And and right. then my perspective changes because all I'm going off of is my own personal experiences. Right. And yet those are limited. They cannot be applied to everybody else's experiences. My life is this. That doesn't mean someone else's is different. Yeah. Is not different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and and so in the mm-hmm. film is, is is Joanne Blackman Bland, 11 year old. Uh, she was 11 years old when she was on the Edmund Pettus Bridge on Bloody Sunday, and that's when the horses were charging and the tear gas and the famous. But image. It was almost a war to right. keep them from voting. Yeah, yeah, and the famous mm-hmm. image of John Lewis, you know, Congressman Lewis, um, get, getting beaten on the head by the police. She was 11 years old. She'd already been arrested 13 times, and when she was attacked, and she's not old enough to vote, but she knew what the right, you know, what what was right and the rights that she should have. Uh, she's still a warrior. She still lives in, in Selma. She's still fighting the good fight. And then there's Carol Anderson, who um, wrote the New York Times bestselling book, White Rage and One Person, No Vote. And so really it's it's centered around these two African-American women sharing these stories and talking about um, voting suppression. Mm. So, and where will we see this film? Uh, it's available now. Okay. You can, you can watch it on Amazon Prime. After so, Selma. Right. Or, you know, you buy the DVD, go to the website. And, mm-hmm. you know, find All those well. things. And yeah. again, the website, it's part of the Joan Trump Power Mulholland Foundation. So right. what's the website name? TheJTMFoundation.org. TheJTMFoundation.org. Mm-hmm. I, I can remember that. Yeah. That's, that's nice as well. We have a film festival coming to town. Yes. And is it uh, the Evers that will be shown? The, the Evers will festival? be there at the LDS yeah. Film Festival. I think it's their 20th year. As a yeah. matter of fact, uh, at the Sierra in Orem, this is going to be the Utah premiere. Um, 
we, we were fortunate to do this film um, together, my foundation, along with the Megan Murley's Evers Institute and uh, Studies Weekly, which is a local education company here in Utah that was the founder, Ed Rickers, was passionate about this story and wanted to make sure it was uh, it was made. For those who are remembering hearing that name, Medgar Evers, but they're, they can't remember us, tell, tell us about Medgar. Medgar is the first of the three civil rights leaders that was assassinated. Um, you know, we hear about Martin, we hear about Malcolm. Medgar was the first. And on uh, June 12, 1963, he was shot in the back by Byron Della Beckwith while standing in his driveway. And in his hands were T-shirts that said, Jim Crow must go. His children were there. His wife was there. He, he died in front of them um, because he wanted equal rights. He just wanted his family and his people to be treated the same as everyone else should be treated. And for that, he was killed. Um, my mother worked with Medgar. Um, and, uh, you know, she was part of the sit-in, the Jackson World War sit-in, which he helped organize with John Salter, who's in that famous photograph with my mom and Ann Moody. Um, and almost every one of you have seen that photograph. Right. Mm-hmm. Black uh, and white, sitting at the at the cafeteria table, yeah. bar. Mm-hmm. And when she was, you know, when she would be down on Lynch Street and, you know, working in the different offices, she would go to Megger's office, the NAACP office, and help, you know, whatever work needed to be done. Um, his daughter and I, Rena Evers, we, we met several years ago. And, um, you know, actually at the first screening of An Ordinary Hero, the story about my mom, where we actually talk about Medgar. And from there on, we just we just had this unique relationship as children of civil rights icons um, and the, the shadow we live under, but also the, the importance of continuing that legacy, that work in the ways that we can, not necessarily how they did it, but what we can do today with the gifts that we've been given. So we you know, for the past several years, worked together to put together this film. Um, and it's it's really a, actually the film is... What is the film's arc, the story the, of it? The, the story is really about this family. It's it's a love story. It's a family story. And the poster art is actually of the house. The house is, is this historic site now. Um, and when you go there, it's a museum. But I wanted people to go there and see, you know, after watching this film, is, is this is these places, these are real people. People, you know, laughed here. They cried here. They loved here. They danced here. You know, uh, you know, they got spanked there. You know, all these things, right? So, I mean, these were these, these were families, real people, and it's it's a family love story, and and the perseverance and and um, uh, the 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 desire to continue to press on um, despite the tragedy. It's 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 this is a great example of the true American experience. I, I'm going to use a term, and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, because when I think about the assassinations, the murders mm-hmm. of these civil rights leaders, mm-hmm. I look at it as a form of terrorism. It wasn't just oh, for sure. to remove Medgar Edvers. Send a message. It was to send a message. Right. right. Right? The message was, we're here. We will stop you. We will do whatever it takes mm-hmm. to maintain the status quo, to keep this way of life in the South which was, you know, segregation and Jim Crow at all costs. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's remarkable to think about this, this. This man was, you know, Byron de la Beckwith, was returned home a hero. Uh, he would get steak dinners, and he would brag about it for 30 more years until Jerry Mitchell, who's got this remarkable book that just came out called Race Against Time, um, unearthed some evidence that, the state of Mississippi was playing both sides. They were funding not only the prosecution, but also, also the defense. And so because of that, they were able to retry him. And uh, 
and and eventually he and that was recent. Uh, how many years ago? It feels recent. Now again, I said recent, I was yeah. born in 1965, so we'll I, just say recent history. Recent history, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was delayed justice. Right, it was delayed justice, but mm-hmm. justice still served. As as a young man who grew up in the South, mm-hmm. and and um, you didn't see things separate but equal. No, no. I mean, for me, it was well. I mean, I grew up in the seventies and eighties, so mm-hmm. we were we we're you know supposedly beyond that. I mean, but segregation still existed, just not in the form of. Uh, I mean, it was more societal, psychological. Um, you know, people still stayed in their own neighborhoods, but schools were integrated. You know, we didn't have separate bathrooms and those sort of things. But you did have separate neighborhoods when I was a, separate, when, yeah. in my age group. Sure, you know, with the GI Bill, right. you had certain uh, people of, of minority ethnicities that were not able to right. buy land in the little neighborhood, the humble neighborhood right. that I grew up in, that was funded so often by G- almost every man on my street right. had served in the war. Well, the GI Bill guaranteed mm-hmm. that the government, you know, would, the government would guarantee the money if you could get the loan. Well, where were you going to get the loan at, right? Um, and today we're still a hypersegregated society, right? Um, you know, the most segregated schools in the country are actually in New York City, which is the most diverse city in the world. The, the, the challenge we have today is, is, is you know, I, I, I say this a lot when I'm doing screenings and so forth, uh, particularly on a film I did called Black, White, and Us about racism through the lens of transracial adoptions. And in that film, we, we, there's this phrase that says, says, believe me, you know, just just believe me. So when your friend of color says, you know, something happened to him, the police did this or someone did this, you know, just don't try to write it off. Maybe that's not what they meant or this, you know, whatever it might be. Just believe them, right? Be a real friend. So I ask because every white person has a friend who's black, right? That's kind of it's, – it's, it's a joke. Right, where they say, oh, no, I can't be racist because I got a friend, friend who's, who's black. black right? mm-hmm. um, how good of a friend are you, Right. And and, and and that's where we need to be. We, we need to have real authentic relationships, uh, not just merely a coworker, not just someone on Facebook, but real relationships with people. Where you care about the experiences that someone has exactly. just communicated to you. I, I was reading something today and because I'm always learning, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, the most recent book I, I read was Waking Up White, which is right. – was you know, yes. a, a great starting point for a right. book club to have great conversations uh, but um, it, it, it made me this, – this thing I read today was you're either racist or you're anti-racist. Mm-hmm. And I had to think for a minute and I thought, yeah, that actually resonates for me. Right. And that you're either someone who is actively, um, you know, embracing um, racist division and prejudice or you're someone who works against that. Right. Who stands against that, speaks up against that. Right. Well, and you have unconscious bias as well. I mean, there's, there's, you know, we we all, we all live in America. We're all fed the same diet. People, it shocks people when I tell them I'm all, my mother still has racist tendencies. Right? Well, is that possible? Right? Well, she didn't know the N word was a bad word until she was 13. But what she does is because of the everything that she's been fed through the media and everything else, and you know, and, and whatever conversations, conversations down the street, right. neighbors and exactly. friends at school and all of that. That, that all has an impact. And so when something happens, she stops and thinks about it and goes, wait a second, why did I think that? Why did that come to mind? And how to, how to actively actually disengage from that and to rewire the way she thinks. And you know, at 78 years old, she still has to do that. 
Um, But it's the fact that she's willing to do that and recognize her imperfections. Um, Coming back to this idea of this authentic relationships and stuff, this this comes back to the core of love thy neighbor, which is what my mother, you know, took to heart when her Sunday school teacher, who was John Glenn, the astronaut. um, Who has a chance to have John Glenn be their Sunday (laughs) school teacher. You know, and then you go to Sunday Sunday brunch with his family and, uh, you know, minister. But – you know, taking those words to heart and actually applying it and going beyond yourself to, to, to like, like as you were saying, you know, to, 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 to really recognize the experiences that other people are having. They might not be your experience. You might not have that. It doesn't mean someone else isn't. And we have to be willing to, to go beyond ourselves to get uncomfortable and, you know, and some people say just, you know, go there, right? Um and accept the idea that we just don't know everything. It's really scary when we hear the term racism, right? right? Or racist. Right. Our first thought is to put our hands up and say, no, no. Not me. Not me. I'm not a part of it. My family wasn't. And that's because we may misunderstand what racism and racist right. uh, ideology and perspectives are. So so, mm-hmm. so traditionally, you know, the reason this always seems to become a, uh, as an issue is that whites and blacks see racism differently. Um. Whites see it in black and white photographs, right? They see it as, you know, the Klan wearing hoods and burning crosses, and and they see it as bad people. Um, Bad people are racist, and I'm not a bad person, so I can't be racist. I'm not burning crosses. I'm not sitting there, you know, blowing up buses or whatever it might be. So thus, that's not me. African Americans understand racism from an institutional standpoint. Let me give an example. So slavery, for example— is, uh, you know, it's an individual owning another person. Well, I never owned any slaves, so that's not my problem. So they said, well, that was in the past, right? This is what I call in, in, the, in the film The Uncomfortable Truth, the I never owned any slave syndrome, right? And so that, that's our out. What they fail to recognize is that why was that person allowed to own someone else? That's the institutions, the government and so forth, that allowed slavery to take place, that allowed Jim Crow to happen, that allowed the GI Bill to, to discriminate, to allow all these things to take place. And the impact of all of that continues today. And yes, while I might not have participated in that, I definitely benefit from it. And if I'm benefiting from it, that means someone else you know, is not. And it's our role as Americans to make sure that everyone is treated equally and has the same access as everyone else. So thus, after Selma, you know, and when it comes to voting rights, and you know, and and, and the ideas in the film, the Evers, um, about being able just to live your life. And you know, I, I I keep going back to what you said. We have just a couple of minutes, and again, this is Loki Mulholland. He is a film director and a writer. And he has a podcast yeah. uh, now, and that's called The Uncomfortable Truth. Mm-hmm. All right. So people can find that and you right. know, have weekly shows? Or? Yeah. Yeah. It's a weekly mm-hmm. show, and it's a conversation between Luvon Brown and I, who's a, who's a freedom writer who grew up in Mississippi, um, lived in a different America than I did. Um, my mom was the first person, first white woman he ever trusted because when he grew up, Emmett Till was killed. And that taught him a valuable lesson about relationships with white women and black men, right? Um, but we've had this, this is a relationship, you know, that's a very authentic relationship that's been built over several years since the film and so forth. And this becomes this dialogue that 
you know that should be taking place and we just we just run with it you know we you know just the different topics about you know about race and racism and reparations or you know black history month or whatever it might be um and that's how that's that's what's taking place with it Mm. I was thinking of of how Black History Month overlaps with the month of love and Valentine's, and mm. and you were talking about um, love thy neighbor, and and I think in a politically um, divisive cl- um, climate that we're in, we just need to to take the power out of those words really quick, racism and racist, and and just and and, and put it to the side for a minute and just say I do love my neighbor. I want to understand that. Right. What What's the message? What What's the concern? Where is it in my life? Could it be in my life? Hang the question out there. What can yeah. I learn from that? Then you can find films like After Selma. You mentioned that's right. on Amazon Prime. Uh, Loki Mulholland. You can look for The Evers, not right. only at the LDS Film Festival, right. right? But where else will we have a chance to see The Evers? Um, well, it's not out yet. Okay. So, yeah. It's, you know, so, this, this is going to be This is going to okay. be your moment here in Utah to watch it for right now. Do you know the dates when we can see it uh, at yep. the LDS Film Festival? At the LDS Film Festival. Mm-hmm. It's going to be at 6 p.m. on February 27th. I'm going to be there, by the way. Oh, wonderful. I'm going to make I sure that I see yeah. that. Yeah, but yeah, oh, my husband, who I admire so much. And the podcast is called The Uncomfortable, Uncomfortable Truth. Truth. And we'll look for that. Before I let you go, any final thoughts? I, I do have a final thought. You mm-hmm. know, I, I've had this discussion several times. Um, you know, I don't want to sound pretentious or anything, but uh, with Ruby Bridges. Um, she's a family friend. Um, just happens to be that's just kind of how the people of the movement work together and, you know, and, and know each other. And she doesn't talk about racism when she talks with students. She, I said, well, what do, you, what do you talk about? She goes, I talk about love and hate because that's what I saw, you know. That was the difference that I saw, and that's what she really dives in on is, you know, how do we move away from hate and move towards love? That's powerful. Mm. Loki, thank you. Thank you. For, for dedicating yourself to ending racism. The foundation is called the Joan Trumpauer Mulholland Foundation. We talked about a number of things, films and podcasts, so that you can um, seek out more information and more knowledge and watch these movies and have conversations in your circles. And um, the website is the is JTM. So you better the, just do yeah, it. Yeah, the JTM Foundation. So T H E J T M foundation.org. Not everybody has memory problems like me. So the (laughs) jtmfoundation.org. Loki, I admire your work. I love your soul and I appreciate the work that you do every day. Thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. Thank you so much.